good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Hey, let me draw attention to something as we get going, because some of you who weren't here last week might be wondering what it is. Off to my right, your left out there, we have this uh, structure up here on the stage that looks like a woven basket, like somebody's old Longaburger collection that made its way up on the stage. Uh, but what that is, is that's just a collection of a bunch of these boxes like this, and it goes back to last week's sermon where our idea was that to be a dangerous church was to believe that with our God, anything is possible. And so I challenged everybody with this question. If you could ask God to do something in your life knowing that God would do it, what is it you would ask him to do, knowing that he would fulfill your request? And so we had these boxes available last week, and they got this little yellow post-it note in there, and we challenged everybody to just be prayerful about that and bring that up and present that before the Lord. And so what we did was our fifth and sixth grade uh, boys and girls, some of them, they came in this week and they erected this altar for us because a lot of times an altar was built out of a memorial for what God has done in the past so that people wouldn't forget. We are building this one in anticipation of what God is going to do. And the culmination of this is going to happen on March 3rd. It's a Sunday night at 6 o'clock and we're just going to throw open the doors of the church and we're inviting everyone, anyone, young and old, just to come in with us and for an hour we're just going to petition God in prayer about some different things in our church, in our country, in our community, and just kind of try to cover a whole scope of things that night. And we'll even be praying over uh, what your requests were in these boxes, okay? So if you weren't here, didn't get a chance to participate in that, uh, at the end of service today, maybe while we're singing or even after service, we have a number of these left back there on a circular table. If you just want to pick one up, write in your request, and put it here uh, on the stage and we'll make sure it gets stacked to be part of our altar. Uh, again, that's going to um, come to a culmination on March 3rd, Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Hope to see you there. All right, well, let's get started with what we're going to talk about today, about a dangerous church being filled with dangerous people. Now, i got to say from the get-go this morning that there is a group of people who have my respect and admiration at a very, very deep level. Do you know who that is? That's our first responders, not just the ones we have in our community, but out of our community and all across our country. You know why I have so much admiration for them? Here's why. Because when there's a building that's on fire and being destroyed, and you have all sorts of people who are running out to save their own lives, you got these people who show up in fire trucks and gear and oxygen, and they're not running out, they are running in to save their li other lives at the risk of their own lives. Whenever we hear about a school shooting or a shooting at some business like the one in Aurora, Illinois the other day, it's the men and women in blue who, who travel as fast as they can to get there to that point of conflict. And while everybody is scattering and running out of the building to save their life, they are running in there to neutralize that threat. Or when a train passes through a town and it's carrying toxic chemicals on one of the the cars, and that spills, and it oozes out, and it presents a danger to the community. It's our first responders who mask up and suit up, and they're on the scene while everybody else is fleeing and driving away and running scared because of what might be. They're the ones who are going right into it to contain it to make sure that it doesn't cause harm to anybody else. So I guess what I'm saying this morning is that if you're in the life-saving business like so many of these men and women are, you cannot be risk-averse. It just comes with the territory, right? 
So you got to love it when, when a man or woman who, who just signs up for something, knowing full well that what they're signing up for is very, very dangerous. Because we know they're certainly not doing it for the money, right? They're doing it because there's something bigger at stake than their own safety. And let me say it loud and clear this morning. If you're going to commit your life to be a follower of this one we call Jesus... You cannot be risk-averse. If your whole goal is just to be warm, safe, and dry, then I would advise you to be as far away from Jesus as you can get and don't be a part of his kingdom because that's not what it offers and that's not the promise that he makes. And some of you this morning might be there where the one thing you're seeking in life is my comfort, my security, my safety. And if that's you, let me just tell you a couple things, okay? Number one, you are missing out on the fun and the adventure of what Jesus calls the abundant life, if that's you. And if that's you as well, let me tell you this. The kind of life, that cush, posh life, safe, comfortable, secure life, following after Jesus, that is nowhere to be found in the pages of Scripture. That would be foreign to what Christianity looks like. Because here's what we all know. We all know that the important things in life always come at a cost. When you love someone, there's going to be a time where you're going to be called to sacrifice for that person. If you believe in a cause in your heart of hearts, there's going to be a times where you might have to lay everything on the line in order for that cause to somehow advance, all right? So let's talk about this this morning a little bit because here's what I know. I know that in our culture that we live in, especially here in America, it seems like we have elevated safety and security and comfort almost to like our God that will do anything, pay any price to get to that desired end. I'm safe, secure, and comfortable. So let's talk about what it means to be a dangerous people. First, here's what it means. That Jesus says that when we accept the invitation to come, follow me, which is what he invites all of humanity to do, he says your life, at some point, if you're really following closely, if you're really listening to what I'm saying, if you're walking in the steps that I've marked out for you, your life is going to be characterized by danger. There's going to be real threats, there's going to be real violence, there's going to be real discomfort, there's going to be real difficulties that come into your life just by nature of your association with me. And Jesus didn't hide this fact. He wasn't shy about it. It's not like he got this big following of people and did a bait and switch and said, ha ha, I gotcha. That's not what he did. He was very candid about it. Listen to what he says in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, catch that, to them all. Not then he said to the pastors or then he said to the missionaries or then he said to the church leaders or, or just his apostles. No, he said to all of them. Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. It's almost like Jesus is trying to weed out people before he gets started, saying, careful, this is going to be a dangerous journey. So let me ask you something. When it comes to following Christ, 
doing what it says he calls us to do, going where he calls us to go. Here's a question for you. How important is it for you that that journey, that that life, that that calling, how important is it for you that that be safe? Because here's what I know. You can't rescue people who are perishing without suiting up and going straight into the burning building. And it's almost like Jesus was this terrible recruiter, right? Because it's not like he said to his followers, hey, listen, you come follow me, and we'll sleep in five-star hotels every night. We'll have three square meals. I'll make sure that you have comfortable seating and, uh, you know, uh, air-conditioned climate, and you'll have great programs for your kids, and we'll have all sorts of coffee and donuts for you. Come on. Come on, join the, join the crowd. That's all he said. He didn't appeal to our comfort. Here's what he said. Matthew 10, 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. How many of you does that sound a little concerning? Yeah. Because anytime a sheep and a wolf tangles, who ends up on the bad end of that deal? The sheep. They're bruised, they're battered, they're beaten, sometimes devoured when they encounter a wolf. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local church councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, again, because you are tethered to me, because we are walking hand in hand, because you represent what I represent, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Get this. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Do you see how deep this goes? That those people you love and cherish and grew up with and, and thought would be with you through thick and thin, that group we call family. Jesus says, when I enter a picture, all bets are off. Because you're associated with me, family might disown you, disinherit you, write you out of the will, you're no longer invited to the reunions, they might even kill you. Which is what happens in some parts of the world. When you leave one faith and follow Jesus, there's a bounty on your head now. Jesus is talking about these kinds of people. Listen to verse 22. You will be hated. It's a strong word. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So behind our very, very comfortable lives is this rabbi named Jesus. God in the flesh, who said he didn't even have a place to lay his head of comfort in this world. And he says, listen, when things start to go south for you, when you feel the heat, the pressure, because you're running into the building and people don't like it, and when you're facing resistance and threats and danger, don't worry about it. Just know two things. I'm with you, and I will see you through till the end. 
And you know where we see this playing out? The early church. They understood completely this dangerous invitation to become a dangerous kind of people very well. Do you know how I know that? Because when they faced the pressure, the heat, the pushback, the threats, the violence, you know what they didn't pray for? They didn't pray for safety. Lord, keep us comfortable. Lord, keep us secure. Keep us safe. Keep us warm. Keep us dry. They didn't pray for that. You know what they prayed for? God, give us courage. God, give us boldness. God, whatever come, come hell or come high water, God, make us people who complete the mission that you started in us. That's what they prayed. Because there was something that was greater at stake than their own safety. We read in Acts chapter 5 how the apostles, they were confronted by the Jewish high priest and his associates because they were out just doing what Jesus told them to do. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he says, go and preach the good news of salvation and hope through my name. So that's exactly what they're doing. Well, the high priests and officials did not like that. So what do they do? They have the apostles arrested and thrown into jail. Now let me ask you something. What is God calling and leading you to do, even though it might get you into some trouble, even though it might be risky, even though it might be scary? Do you ever feel at all like God is encouraging you, just get out of your stinking comfort zone? And you know that if you do, while it might lead to some good things, you still allow yourself to be governed by fear. What will they think? What will they do? What will happen next? What am I going to lose if I take this step and do what I feel God calling me to do? This is one reason why I love that our church, on an annual basis, we have short-term mission trips for people to sign up for and go. We've got, over the next four weeks, uh, several people, dozens of people from our church going either to Barbados or to Guatemala. And you know why I love that? Because when you take a plane and you leave the States and you go to a foreign land, you're basically giving up all control, all comfort, all security, everything, and you're just laying it before God's throne and you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Because there are no guarantees. There's no guarantees you're going to get there. There's no guarantees you're going to get home. There's no guarantees that things are not going to go terribly awry while you're there. More than likely, they're not. But there's no guarantees. So I love it when I see our people just laying their lives down, saying, God, I'm going to suit up. I'm going to rush into a burning building known as this country or known as that country, and I'm going to take the love and the service of Jesus that you've called me to give. I'm going to follow where he's leading. I'm going to be his voice in his hands, and I'm just going to trust. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to talk myself out of it because of the fear. God, I'm just going to follow. And isn't that what he asks us to do? And after throwing the apostles in jail, they thought they were done with them, and they sat down for a good meal one night. And then comes somebody, comes back the next day to tell them something. Hey, apparently the jail cells flew open that night because God busted them out of jail, and they're back in the city streets preaching again. We can imagine this infuriated the religious leaders, and so they go out and they confront the apostles, and here's what they say to them. 
didn't we tell you not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore? And I love Peter's response. Peter's like, yeah, um, you told us that, but we had to decide whether to, to, to follow God or you, and we took a vote, and it was unanimous, and you lost. And if it comes down to following people like you or obeying God, God's going to win every single time. Listen to me, folks. Jesus said, be as wise as serpents and what? Harmless as doves. You know what we don't do as Jesus people? We don't go looking for trouble. We don't go making trouble. We don't just stir the pot for pot stirring sake. Here's what Jesus says. If you're following me close enough, if you're walking with me tight enough, trouble will always, always, always find you. And when it does, Jesus says, you have to ask yourself, are my priorities and my convictions, are they as clear in my life as they were for the early church? That no matter what happens, I'm just going to obey God. I'm going to run into the burning building because there's things that are a whole lot more important than my safety, security, and my comfort. This is what it says in Acts 5.33. This is after Peter told him, ah, we took a vote and you lost, all right? When they heard this, the religious officials, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But the apostles, guess what? They didn't bat an eye, not one bit. And do you know why I love this and I hate this at the same time? I love it for their sake, I hate it for our sake, because I feel like in our day and time, folks, that we Fear what we might lose all the time. It's like this culture of fear. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my freedom. I don't want to lose my safety. I don't want to lose my retirement. I don't want to lose my savings. I don't want to lose my spouse. I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to lose my parents. It's like we, we operate under this guise of fear. Well, what if I do that? What am I going to lose? Becomes the lens through which we view everything. What's it going to cost me? But these early Christians... There wasn't anything that they weren't willing to just lay on the line, lay it right out there and, yeah, you, you, want, you want to take my house? Take my house. If you want to throw my kids in jail, well, I guess they got to go to jail. Bye, kids, you know. If you want to take my life, go ahead and take my life. You know what that makes somebody when they don't fear losing anything in their life? You know what that makes them? Very, very what? Dangerous. And do you know how they got there? Because they witnessed their leader, Jesus. Look eyeball to eyeball into the eyes of their greatest fear, death, and Jesus won. Not only did he win, and not only did they witness that, but they also had the promise from him, from the victorious one, from the resurrected one, that you're going to win too. You're going to resurrect as well. That's why you don't have to be afraid. And folks, listen to me. When you get a man or woman who is not afraid of death or dying, do you know what that makes them? Very, very dangerous. You tell me, who's more dangerous? The person who wields the sword or the person who's not one bit afraid of the sword? Always the person who's not afraid of it. Some of you might not know this. If you've been following the news or any kind of 
Christian world news, you might be aware that our brothers and sisters in China are undergoing a kind of persecution in the church that hasn't been seen for decades. More arrests, more prison, more churches now where police are showing up with heavy equipment and sledgehammers and reducing churches to rubble. More now than in past decades. So let me ask you a question. You're a follower of Jesus in China. The government's hunting you down, trying to restrict you, threatening prison. What do you do? You obey God. I want you to listen to one man's story as it plays out before your eyes. Here in China, there is such darkness. But even in the midst of this darkness, we are experiencing God's victory. I became a believer 10 years ago. I heard about Christ when I was on a business trip. After that, my entire family came to Christ. But we are not free to share our faith with others. If you are spreading the gospel, Chinese government treats you as a criminal. They want to control the number of Christians. They want to control what God is doing. I hear from time to time of brothers and sisters being persecuted and arrested. Last week, a good friend of mine was taken by the Chinese police. He was questioned and then beaten so bad that he almost died, all because of spreading the gospel. In the city, everywhere you look, there are apartments. Since we can't meet in public, our ministry takes place in the buildings we live in. In the evenings, brothers and sisters in Christ gather together in homes. This is our church. If you ask people on the street, most have never heard of Christ or read the Bible. No one in their family is a believer. The dangers here are driven by darkness, and that darkness can be quite fearful, especially when I think of my family. But God never fears, and He will overcome. So I want to go and share, despite being at risk. I minister to the neighbors that live next door 
or upstairs. I visit them often. I listen and I share in their life. When I get the chance, I tell the story of Jesus Christ, and we pray. And the Holy Spirit works. Every week, we see new people come to Christ. Only two weeks ago, an amazing thing happened. We discovered there was another home church meeting at the top of this very same building. In our own building, God had brought up another fellowship. That really humbled us. In the midst of all the darkness, all the persecution, the Holy Spirit is moving. He continues to prepare the hearts of people in China. Every day, I have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ, even if it means I could go to prison. For who can have victory over God? Nobody. No matter what country. You know, we look at the world that Li Yang is living in, the steps that he's taking. Every time he utters the name of Jesus outside of his church, every time he conducts a church service, we look at that kind of boldness and risk, and we say, that's an exceptional Christian. Let me, let me clarify something. That is not exceptional. You know what that is? That's the norm for the people of Jesus. What's exceptional, what's not normal, is this idea of safety at all costs. And you know why Li Yang is able to conduct himself like that? Because he has the faith that, that convicted him to say these words. You remember those words? Who can have victory over God? And the answer is nobody. Not a dictator, not the Chinese government, not any regime, not any power can have victory over God. So he talks about Jesus, and he conducts church in the name of Jesus, and he worships Jesus freely, knowing his God is able to deliver him. And if he doesn't, he'll give him the strength to sustain whatever comes his way. Let me tell you real quick as well another way that we're dangerous people. Not just by danger, we'll be kind of like magnetic to us once we associate ourselves with Jesus. But Jesus says, when, when you walk in my ways and conduct yourself like one of my people, that is going to be very troubling and disturbing to the status quo of the world in which you live. You know how we know that? Because the apostles themselves and Jesus were arrested and killed because they continually upset the apple cart, continually pushed back against the establishment. And we Christians, we, we are kind of known to be certain kinds of people. We're kind of characterized, right? The question is, what is it we're known for? All of us have people that we know, relatives, who, who don't sus subscribe to our faith. They're not followers of Jesus. And they have certain thoughts about us. Largely, here's what these thoughts probably are. 
that when people think of church or Christians, they think, oh, yeah, yeah, that harmless little group of people that, that collects inside of a building, and they kind of live in a bubble. They just kind of circle the wagons when they get together, and they sing Kumbaya, and they have potlucks afterwards, and they, they just go back to their lives as this harmless little clique. That's what a lot of people think about you and I, the church, the people of Jesus in general. But maybe the more important question is, what does Jesus want us to be known for? And I think the answer is very, very clear as we see it played out right there in black and white on the pages of Scripture. That if we will allow him, Jesus says, I will infuse you with my power to do amazing things that turn this world upside down. And let me tell you what upside down doesn't look like. Upside down does not look like bombing clinics. It does not look like uh, gunning down God's enemies. It does not look like picketing and protesting certain funerals of, of people that we don't agree with. Jesus says you're going to do it through love and you're going to do it through service. Because the power of love always prevails. Always. The early Christians show us this, that in every city they went to, they brought healing, they brought hope, they brought good news, they brought care, they provided for people. And yet over and over and over, here's what we find the, the Christians being described as doing. That whenever the Christians make their way into a city, the city gets into an uproar. Okay? There's those Christians again doing their stuff again. Man, I wish. I hope that someday we live in a community that's just kind of tumultuous and an uproar because the church is being the church by being the hands and the feet of Jesus locally. And it's just got everybody all stirred up. And the promise of Jesus is this. And the people of God live with that kind of sacrificial, selfless abandon. When there's this kind of radical commitment to your kingdom before my safety, here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God will advance forcefully and powerfully, and not even the forces of hell will do anything to stop. Did you know that for the first three centuries that the church existed, for the first 300 years after Jesus, the church grew by like 40% in the New Testament world? We say, how was that? What kind of, what, what was behind their growth? Was it a great ad campaign the church had out? Was it these amazing buildings that people flocked to? Was it a, a rock star staff that they had on board? Was it a convert or die mentality? Is that why they grew so much? No. The reason why is the Christians just outloved and outserved everybody and just infiltrated in a community in amazing ways. For example, in AD 165, there was this plague that swept through the Roman Empire, more than likely what we would call smallpox, and about a third of all citizens died. And while the pagans and the unbelievers are fleeing their homes, fleeing their cities, running to the hills to save their own skin. Guess who sticks around? 
Or guess who actually goes to these cities to bring hope and healing to those who are dying? It's the Christians. Even at risk of getting the disease themselves. In fact, there was a writer named Dionysus who describes the, the character and the attitude of these Christians. Here's what he says. These Christians showed unbounded love, never sparing themselves, heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with the sick, they often departed this life serenely happy, meaning they died with the people they were trying to help. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing within themselves the sickness of neighbors and cheerfully, cheerfully accepting their pains. You know what that is? dangerous. That's running into the burning building because there's a mission. And that kind of love, friends, always prevails. Let me end with two stories. Two very, very contrasting stories. One of my favorite modern-day Christian heroes is the late Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many of you know of Bonhoeffer? You've read his story. Just an amazing man with amazing convictions. He was a German pastor, theologian, Christian leader. And he was a young adult when Hitler was rising to power in Nazi Germany. He spoke out against Hitler, spoke out against fascism, spoke out against everything atrocious that the Third Reich was standing for and trying to impose in Germany and ultimately the neighboring countries. And Bonhoeffer... Uh, because things were getting so intense for him and so many threats and so much violence that was coming his way, he decided to come to America. But while in America, he was convicted that he needed to return to his homeland. And I want you to hear what he wrote to a friend. All right, listen to this. He says, I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will have to face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose. Listen to this. But I cannot make that choice from security. In other words, I'm not just going to look out for my own skin to protect my own hide. The choice that I'm making has nothing to do with my safety. It has everything to do with the mission of Jesus and going back into the burning building. So he went back. And for three years or so, he was outspoken against Hitler, outspoken against the policies, did whatever he could do to try to get the church rallied up to fight against Nazism and fascism. And finally... After about three years of being outspoken, we know what the Nazis did to anybody who disagreed with them. They either killed them on the spot or arrested them and put them away in prison. So Bonhoeffer was arrested 
imprisoned, tortured, and executed two weeks before the Allies liberated Germany. And no wonder, his most wildly popular book is called The Cost of Discipleship. If you haven't read it, I would highly, highly encourage you to. It's not even a real big read. So we got that story on the one hand. Now I want to share with you the story that a lady named Penny Lee tells about a time she was finished giving a speech and this elderly German man approached her weeping. And by the way, she had just given a pro-life speech, okay? I want you to listen to what this German man said to her. He says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning, we would hear the whistle from a distance and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed one Sunday when we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, the train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help those poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time the whistle would blow. And we decided the only way to keep from being disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time that train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it much anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. God, likewise, forgive us. When we worship at the altar of safety, convenience, comfort, security, while people go to hell every day. God, if I had one prayer this morning, here's what my prayer would be. The next time we feel a prompting from your spirit 
who Jesus promised would give us the words to say. The next time we feel a prompting from your spirit to say something, to do something that's scary, that's risky, that might cause trouble for us, that we be bold enough and follow that prompting. Just take a step in that direction. Father, I pray that you'll give us the boldness that characterized our spiritual ancestors. That we'll remember the promise of Jesus. That he'll be with us. And he'll be with us to the end. So Lord, help us to be bold. And that in that boldness, Lord, we know that we will create a force that's so dangerous that the forces of hell will not be able to mount any kind of attack against us. May we go forward, Lord, with love in one hand and service in the other, understanding that love, the love of Christ, always, always, always prevails, and it's worth risking everything to take that wherever you call us to go. Lord, be with us. We've gotten way too comfortable. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.